0: Tonight we are going to be looking at chapter fourteen of the book of Exodus. We together, we as a group, we as a family, or what, we're reading through the Bible. And we have landed on Exodus chapter fourteen. I think probably one of the one of the most, probably if not the most well known chapter in the Old Testament. There probably is none greater than this one here. There's been movies made about it. It's just crazy how the Lord just had it land perfectly on Tuesday night and it gets to be taught. I'm going to briefly, I know I say that, briefly (laughs) give an overview of just the last six chapters of what has happened last week. Nothing like we did before the week before, just the week before the week. Nothing like last week, just real quick, just real sweet things that we can look at and see little quick points, okay? In chapter 8, do you remember all the way back? Chapter 7. Does anybody remember what happened last week? Chapter 7, what was taught on? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, <laughs> come on. Huh?
1: Uh, Moses and his brother kept on telling Pharaoh
0: Yes. Yes. And then yeah, and then what what? I heard snake over here? Yeah. Yes, remember? Remember yeah. the snake throw down, remember? The blood. Yeah, Alright. Well, anyways, chapter eight. Remember? Moses and Aaron go to the go to Pharaoh. Let the people go. He's like, uh-uh. Okay. Don't no want to do that. Frogs are coming. Guess what? Frogs are coming. And frogs come, and they take over the entire land of Egypt. I mean, they swarm the land of Egypt like you've never seen. Did you notice the phrase there in chapter 8? Did you notice that one phrase? Does anybody know? When did Pharaoh say that he wanted the frogs gone? When Moses said, okay... All right, if you let the people go, I'll take the frogs out. When do you want them gone? When do you want the frogs gone? Anybody remember? He said tomorrow. Interesting. He didn't say right now. He didn't say at 5 o'clock. He said tomorrow I want the frogs gone. What? What? Why wouldn't he want the frogs gone right now? He wanted them gone tomorrow, which is interesting. And there's a whole study... They were coursing to about, but it's just an interesting to note that he wanted the frogs to stay one more day. Frogs, a picture, I guess, can be a type of, maybe kind of a stretch, sin. A lot of times we, guess what, when we say, Alright, when do you want the sin gone? When is it time, Josh Thompson, for it to get out of your life? Tomorrow. I'm not ready right now. Tomorrow, I'll do it. And the frogs stay in one more day. And they mess your life up just a little bit more. Maybe the next day you say tomorrow again. It's very interesting that he said that. But of course, Pharaoh doesn't let the people go. Remember, he hardened his heart. And then what happens? Same happens with gnats. The gnats, the dirt. Moses comes and the dirt on the ground becomes gnats. You know gnats? I mean, you go over like San Bernardino, it's like Redlands. Dude, there is gnats. Norco? Is that, is that anybody that Nor- Norco now? Oh, I am not down for that. Nats like get in your face and in your ears and just—I don't even know how they withstood that. And he's like, "Okay, please, you know, let the nats go." And of course, Moses goes and makes them go, but Pharaoh doesn't keep his promise. He lies again. He lies. I mean, I, I would love to count how many times Pharaoh lies, straight to Moses' face. Move on next to so chapter 9. And we see, next thing, Moses and Aaron walk up again. Guess what? Remember we talked about it last week at the Agape Feast, remember? Comes up, lets people go. Nope, not doing it. Oh, if you don't let the people go, then all the livestock in the land are going to die. Every animal. They're all going to die. They're going to drop dead. He's like, no. They all start dropping dead. Guess what? All the livestock in where? Egypt only. Egypt only, Egypt only die. The Israelites, where they're staying, their their cattle does not die. And then, of course, he still doesn't let the people go. He hardens his heart more. Then Moses takes ash. Remember, he takes the ash, and he sprinkles it when he comes up to Pharaoh in his face. Not in it, what if he took the ash and threw it in his face. No, he didn't do that. He was like, he took the ash and he he let it go in the air, and it says it, it flew to the heavens. What happened is. That ash became boils on the people's arms, on their bodies. Boils! I mean, sick boils. I can't imagine. Boils all over the body. Remember, boils so bad that what? The magicians, remember, they couldn't come even and stand before Pharaoh because they were so messed up. It's like chickenpox times 20, you know? It's like just chicken pox that are that big on you or something. Just These giant boils, absolutely amazing. And then, he hardens his heart some more. Pharaoh gets ticked. Then Moses comes and tries to tell them again. He says, listen up. He's like, if you don't let the people go, hail. Remember, hail is going to come on the people. But what does God do? Do you guys remember the grace story? He says what? He gives Pharaoh a hint. And he's like, listen man, if you take all your cattle out and put them inside the hail will come down and will not kill them. But if you leave them outside, and you leave your servants outside, they're all going to die. God allows, shows grace and mercy upon them, those people, and gives them a a sneak preview or a hint to what's to come. He gives them the hint so they can run from judgment. I just, man, our God is so good. And He has given us that hint so that we can run from judgment, hasn't He? In our lives, with sin, hey, don't do that. You're going to get jacked up. You're forgiven. You're going to get jacked up if you do it confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved from the real hail the real hell it's not going to rain down on you me neither because we've been saved by Christ He gave us that door in and of course Pharaoh doesn't let the people go even after the hail I want to read uh, the Haley's Bible handbook here Just, I want to actually read the note here on chapter 10 um, of Exodus and I had it marked out but of course here it is the next plague, do you remember what it is? Locusts. Locusts, listen to this. Locusts were one of the worst of the plagues. One of the worst. Now why? They came in vast clouds and would eat every green thing. At night they would cover the ground in layers to a depth of four or five inches. Do you hear that? Four or five inches. Yeah, that's about that big right there. Four or five inches. That's how thick the locusts would be on the ground. But listen to this. When, when mashed, the smell would be unbearable. You step on one of those things, I'm, we're talking like human flesh. The mere threat of locust plague was caused, or caused Pharaoh's officials to beg him to yield. You think that locusts wouldn't be that big of a deal, but Pharaoh's officials came begging him, Please! Let the people go! We can't take this anymore. The smell is just messing us. And we cannot take all these, I mean, they're everywhere. Look at this, they're in our house, in our food, they're in everything. We cannot get rid of these guys. And look, all the vegetation is gone. There is nothing green, everything. Can you imagine if locusts swept through this land right here? All the grass gone, dirt, the trees gone, everything messed up. So that's why this is one of the worst of the plagues. And then we know also in chapter 7, the plague of darkness was a a direct blow. To the Egyptian god, re Ra, they call him. It's the sun god. You remember Moses came and says, What if you don't let the people go, darkness is going to come upon the earth. For three days, and it did. It's like a slap in the face to the Egyptian god. Like, oh, you're not going to bow before the king and let the people go? You're bad. You're not going to listen? Pharaoh, you've lied like 50 times. You keep saying you're going to let the people go, and he doesn't. Look what happens. Darkness comes upon the earth. He doesn't change his mind. He still does not give in. And then, chapter 10. I'm sorry, I just read chapter 10 tonight. Yes, I did. Then chapter 11. I'm just going to read this quick, small section that uh, Jay wrote out, actually. In chapter 11 of Exodus, it's short but sweet. We encounter the Lord giving Moses the final plague, which he is to pour out on the land of Egypt. Remember? killing every single firstborn in the land the last and final plague a plague that is so horrifying that it finally breaks down Pharaoh to the point that he literally kicks the children of Israel out of the land we see that the Lord in his sovereignty sovereignty knew that would transpire as a result of this plague even though Pharaoh failed to heed to the warnings Moses of Aaron or to heed to the warnings of Moses and Aaron What a sad and tragic day this was in Egypt. Can you imagine if in this land a plague came on this place and every single firstborn child gone? You know how many people would be weeping and how many... I mean, I'd be dead because I'm the firstborn of my family. You know how many parents would be weeping and crying? I mean, just the most destructive thing you could ever see. That's what happened to this chapter, and that's the straw that broke the camel's back. And Pharaoh is just like, alright, that's it. I had enough. Get them out of here. Get the people out of here. I can't do this anymore. And he sends them out, and they go. And then we see in chapter 12, God speaks. We have two chapters ago, chapter 12 and 13. In chapter 12, God speaks to Moses and Aaron, and he gives them special instructions on how the Passover was to be done. The Passover. I'm going to read it to you. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. First month of the year, that month that it happened. Let all the people of Israel know that on the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for sacrifice in order for the people of Israel to be spared from the plague. A lamb with no defects had to be killed and its blood placed on the door frames. Remember? You guys have seen the movie, door frames? Of each home. Then they are to roast the meat over an open fire and eat it along with bitter salad and bread made without yeast. So they remember. The whole animal must be roasted and eaten, including the internal organs. Nothing is to be left over. Everything must be either eaten or burned before the next morning. And then chapter 13. Starts off with the Lord speaking to Moses and telling him to sanctify and consecrate every firstborn male to the Lord whether a man or animal. Then Moses told the people that they were to commemorate this day to the Lord because he had led them out of the land of slavery, Egypt of course. And this month, for seven days, they are to eat bread made without yeast. And on the seventh day, I know these are quick little facts, but I want you to know, I want you to listen, I want you to hear. They were to hold a festival to the Lord on the last day there, seventh day. Moses also tells us that after the Lord brings them into the land of the Canaanites, give up their firstborn. I'm sorry, give up their firstborn. It is God's, because God killed every firstborn in Egypt. So, their sacrifice to the Lord is their firstborn. God led the people around the desert, remember, towards the Red Sea, by day. I'm sorry, by day, God led the people in a pillar of cloud. A cloud, a giant pillar. Cloud. And by night... It was a giant pillar of fire to light their paths and it never left them until 40 years later when they entered in the promised land. Amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing story what is unfolding here. I almost feel like it's us. Like we're Pharaoh. How many times have we told God we're going to do what we say we're going to do? And we lie and then we don't. I I remember I recommitted my life probably like a million times to the Lord before I really made a decision. I remember rededicating my life when I was like six or seven years old, just like all the time going forward. I don't know if I'm saved, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, you know. It wasn't until I was about 17 years old when I was just like, man. I remember it. It It was the difference between saying I'm saved and I'm a Christian and saying I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of Christ. I'm going to follow Him with all my heart. I'm sick of this game. I'm ready to move forward. Now, I'm not going to say I didn't stumble like, quite a bit, even up to like 20, right in that, that area. Just a lot. Stupid stuff. But it was like I made a conscious decision. Like, conscious. Here in my mind, no messing around. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, I love that word. Because we can ask people all day if you're a Christian, and everybody in Riverside's a Christian. Right? Everybody is. What? I have a cross around my neck. Snap, I'm a Christian. That's good. Are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Okay. No, are you a disciple of Christ? That's the question. Do you follow Jesus, man? Do you know him? And that's the question I would encourage each one of you to ask yourself. Ask yourself. Am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? You know what if you are? I'm telling you, He will lead you by day. That cloud, that pillar. And by night, He will lead you with fire. And I'm telling you, He will never leave you, not even for 40 years, till you enter into that promised land. to you enter into heaven, me and you. He's never going to leave. He's going to be there all the time. We're going to jump into this amazing story tonight. Brian's actually going to come and teach it for us. I'm stoked. I'm excited. I want you guys to just listen and allow him to exhort you. Brian has great ability just be able to bring passion to the table, great fruit. Okay? You've listened to me babble enough. But listen, this is probably the greatest story that we've seen in the Old Testament. I want you don't let the simple principles that are going to be said, don't let them pass over your mind. Take heed. Recognize what God's trying to say to you tonight. Amen? I'm going to two. I'm going to come listen. Let's welcome Brian up.
1: (laughs) I'm scared now. Because he, like, pretty much pumped me up for something that I couldn't even really uh, obtain much. Because Josh is actually speaking this Friday at College and Career, and he didn't have time to speak. For today and prepare so I had about four hours to so hopefully um I know the Lord spoke to my heart and I hope that each one of you can um can really tap into what I'm trying to say or how I'm trying to feel or how I'm, I'm trying to present this to you so um bear with me uh we have a great journey ahead of us so um let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we come to you tonight asking that you would calm our hearts, that you would speak to us directly, that you would touch each of us in a special way. So Lord, please speak through me, God. I don't have the words to speak, so I depend on you right now. Please touch your people here tonight and may each one be blessed with this amazing story. So we lift this time to you, and ask that you would be the center of attention, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. Exodus chapter 14, if you guys want to flip there. Right before I left the house, I really didn't know a title. I was like, so, what kind of a title is this? I need I need a title, you know, because throughout you know throughout great speakers, each person that always presents a Bible study always has a title and so on. So I'm thinking in my head right before I get outside the house, and the only thing that came to my came to my mind was He is Lord. That's the title of tonight's mes- message. Uh, is He is Lord, and the reason why is because He is Lord. I mean, we see it throughout, like Joshua's, uh Recapping last week's whole devotional, each chapter by day. That Pharaoh's just lying out of his brains. All these miracles, all these miraculous things are happening. But yet, Pharaoh's... He's not getting the point. He's not understanding that He is Lord. God is who He says He is. Pharaoh's not understanding it. And how many times in our lives, we don't understand that. We we, we go to church and yeah... Yeah, God's Lord, Jesus is God, blah, blah, blah. But really, sometimes we don't understand that in our own personal life. Sometimes when I'm saying, when I'm telling you guys, like when Josh went to Israel and we had, you know, we went through Colossians. And I'm saying, man, take a walk with the Lord. You guys might look at me as if I'm crazy sometimes, you know, like, what are you talking about, Brian? Take a walk with the Lord. Or when I would say, just pray about it or ask the Lord for a sign and it will come. Yeah, what sign? What sign? We, we always get to that point where we don't want to understand the Lord Where we won't let Him in or show Him something little in life Just like every time we wake up every day We should thank the Lord that He's given us a new day to live Right? He's given you this day to live for Him He's given you this day to honor Him, to glorify Him in everything you do And so I'm praying that the Lord would reveal, you, reveal Him to you and to me too. So as we start in verse 1 of chapter 14 of Exodus, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pahai, it's Rock, <laughs> between Magdal and the, and the sea, in front of Baalzaphon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea, and we'll stop right there. So the so the Lord tells Moses to tell all the to tell the Israelites. Okay, we're heading towards the Red Sea. We're at the Red Sea now. So picture this: we have Paha Hyra right next to us on our left. Okay, and this Paha this place that it's called, is pretty much a place. Called the caves or the mouth, meaning caves, you know, because a cave has this has this mouth-looking shape. So it's a mountain full of caves on one side, and on the other side, Magdal is a bunch of towers, a fortress, you can say. And behind him, behind the Israelites, is the the, the Red Sea. So picture the Lord saying, "Okay." We're all going to be staying back towards the Red Sea. Our backs are, uh, are behind the Red Sea. We're facing towards the mountain of caves and towards the towers, the fortress. So you have these three angles, okay? Well, obviously here, this was not a great strategy for them because what if the Egyptians came? What if they came to, to hunt down the Israelites? So they're all they're here. All they got is the Dead Sea, the Red Sea, right right behind them. That's it. They're they're pretty much boxed in now. And so if the Egyptians came in, they're packed in this box. They're packed in this area like stinking sardine cans, you know, sardines in a can. So they can't move. So if, uh, if an if intruder came, how are they gonna how are they gonna get out of this? So moving on to verse 3 it says for pharaoh will will say of the people of israel they are wandering in the land the wilderness has shut them in and i will harden pharaoh's heart and he and he will pursue them and i will get glory over pharaoh and all his host and the egyptians shall know that i am the lord and they did so so this is god speaking to moses saying okay I already hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh is actually coming towards you guys right now, so yeah, you guys are pretty much are in this by. So in this picture, the Israelites, what do we do? <coughs> Pharaoh's coming after us. God's God already hardened Pharaoh's heart. Him and his Egyptians are coming after us. How are we gonna get out of this one? Well what what the Israelites don't understand is that God is going to perform a miracle, some sort of miracle, to make Himself known, right? Because He says here in the last sentence of, chat, of of verse 4, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So God is going to prove Himself. Why? Because the plagues weren't enough. The Passover wasn't enough. The firstborn plague wasn't enough. So therefore he's got to do something. Something's got to happen in order for everyone to understand that he is Lord. So we're going to this is what we're going to see. So moving on to verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, What is this we have done, that we have let the Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots, and took his army with him, and took six hundred chosen chariots, and all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel, while the people of Israel we're going out high hand. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's hero or horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook the encamp at the sea by Piha in front of Bael's Zephon. So we'll stop right there. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I can't pronounce this really well. Anyways, um, okay, so what we see here is this picture of, remember, the Lord told Moses in verse 4 and 5, or verse 3 and 4, that the Egyptians are coming, so Pharaoh's coming after the Israelites right now, and we already noticed that they're backed in this corner, and that's they're packed in this corner like sardines in a can so they they're not going anywhere there's nowhere to run there's nowhere there's nowhere to run you know so pharaoh's gathering up all his all his men all his his whole army here remember he says that he's gathering up 600 chosen chariots well, these 600 chosen chariots are his best. We're talking about his elite team, his acers. Like, these guys are bad. They're like Navy SEAL style, maybe even better. These guys will kill you with a pinky by <laughs> flicking you in the air. That's how hardcore these guys are. So anyways, he, gra- he gathers up 600 elite army men, plus all the chariots in Egypt along with their officers and those that are riding them. And the Lord continues to harden Pharaoh's heart to pursue the people of Israel so that God can make himself known to them. The reason why God is make why God is hardening Pharaoh's heart is to obviously do some sort of miracle like I was saying before to where the Israelites would see as well as the Egyptians would see that this God he is Lord. So we see in verse nine it says The Egyptian the Egyptians pursued them all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and all his horsemen and his army and overtook the encamp at the sea by Taiha Hira and in the ba, or in and in front of Ba Elzephon. So, Pharaoh lines up his army, he lines up all his men right in front of these two towers, this tower and the caves right here, remember? Because the Israelites are back here, I can't go anywhere, I'm, a, you know, I'm not going to swim across the Red Sea or anything. So, they're, so, Pharaoh camps, he places two of his armies, he stations them right here, so obviously they're not going anywhere. So by this time, obviously, I would be scared out of my undies, you know, big time. It's like placing a roly-poly, it's like you have a tank. Let's say you have a tank, and and you put, like, water on one side, because, you know, you probably bought a frog or something, so he needs water. And then you have dirt and sand on the other side. I'm just taking this example because... Um, Robert's house, we have the, you know, this tank that we put a turtle in and so on. So, there's water on one side, and there's grass and dirt, okay? So, we're, we're saying this. I'm ch- I, I want to try to give you a picture. A roly-poly, a bunch of them. Six, or, like, about three million roly-polies right here, right next to the water, right? They're just chilling. Oh dang. And then we got a bunch of just lizards and snakes. Like, I'm going to tear you up now, you know? And obviously, the li- the roly-polies that are right next to the water are just like, that's it, we're getting eaten, we're getting squashed, it's over, we're done, you know? And so that's how the Israelites, the Israelites felt. They felt like, I'm going to get stomped on right now. I'm going to get worked hardcore. So they're scared out of their sandals. <laughs> Moving on, verse 10. <laughs>
0: Verse 10.
1: <laughs> Excuse me. So when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and the fear and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is because of it is because there are no graves in Egypt that You have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Stop right there. So... As I was saying before, the Israelites are complaining now. They're saying, Moses, what's wrong with you? You brought us out into the wilderness. Here comes the Egyptians. They're coming at us. We're scared. You you brought us out of Egypt, Egypt to die here or what? What's going on, Moses? Why are you doing this to us? So as they're complaining... God is telling Moses... Moses knows what's going on already. So God is always telling us like... Don't be afraid. Be of good courage. Because in Psalm... Chapter 31, verse 24, it says... Be strong and let your heart take courage. All you who wait for the Lord. So as we see the, the Israelites are being scared to death here. But Moses... It's just chilling. He's just like, oh, great. Here co- Here's the Israelites complaining again. They're, they're just whining about, we're going to die. You brought us out of Egypt to die. When Moses had the insight the whole time, because God is speaking through Moses, or, or actually to Moses, giving him insight on what to do. And Moses is just being a trooper and following along. So how many times in our lives... We're shooken up and we're scared, but yet Jesus, Jesus is hit, hidden in our hearts. And we all know that, but yet we're always scared. We, we don't take courage. We're just like, oh man, I got SATs coming up. Oh wait, I got I to gotta move to Sacramento to go to school or I have to do this or I have to do that. So many times in our life we're scared, but we forget one thing, that Jesus is hidden within our hearts. And if you were here through the Colossians message, that the mystery of Christ is Christ within us. And so that's why Moses wasn't scared. He's just chilling, like, listening to someone, you know, listening to them complain of him. You know, and sometimes... I know Josh does that a lot to me, you know, I'm always complaining and whining and crying and he listens to me, but he's always chill and relaxed, you know. And in the same sense, if we have Christ within our hearts, how often should we just be chill, relaxed, not worried about anything? Because what, in Matthew chapter 6, it tells us not to worry, right? Not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own worries. Today's troubles is enough for today. So I encourage you within this passage that please, don't be worried. If you say you're a disciple of Christ, if you say that, you're saying this. I trust in the Lord. I believe in Him. He's my life. He's going to carry me through this, this earth while I'm here. I trust in Him. There's nothing I should be afraid of but to only fear God and that's it. So hopefully that encourages you. But moving, but moving on, Israelites are complaining. Moses is just like, Okay, okay, fine. In verse 13, this is what Moses says. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. We'll stop right there. See the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. Salvation In this verse right here is translated deliverance. He's telling them, hey, why are you worried? God is on our side. He's going to deliver us from this. Can't you see it? He's led you by a pillar of cloud. He's led you by a pillar of fire through the night. You can't see God? He's going to deliver you from this. What's wrong with you? Moses is just chillaxing. He's just sitting there like, Dude, stand firm. Fear not. The Lord's going to deliver us. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 to 13 to put on the whole armor of God that that you may resist the devil. Obviously, Moses, he had God right there. And he, He's not afraid. In the same sense, us too. If we put on the armor of God, if we walk our daily lives saying, Hey, Dave, I'm going to put on the armor of God today. You're going to be stoked on God today, this morning. Correct me if I'm wrong. If you wake up saying, Lord, would you please shield me up with your love and your, your, your spirit? Would you fill me anew today? Would you set my mind on heavenly things? Then that will carry on with you for that day. If you put on the armor of God, it will help you resist the devil. Haven't you found that in the hard times of your life, that's when the Lord fights for you and reveals Himself for you or to you? When you... When you go through the hardships, just like the Israelites are going through right now, as we read right here, For the Egyptians, second half of verse 13, For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. you. Wouldn't it be great if, let's say, we, you know, we're here. Or let's say I'm walking down this back alley and, like, I got, like, ten guys just, like, they're just, they're just, you know, doing their drug thing. And I overhear a conversation that I wasn't supposed to hear. And they turned at me and they just turn at me like, what the, who's this guy? And I'm like, oh, dang, I'm done. I would be scared, right? But if I were to, if I'm thinking about Jesus, if I'm thinking about the Lord, and I and I take in what he says here that the Lord will fight for me, there might be an opportunity for me to reach out. We must we must understand this. We must understand that the Lord is on our side. If the Lord's on our side, who can be against us? No one. If the Lord loves you that much, why would He let you go astray, knowing that He still loves you? Even if you go astray a hundred yards, He's 99.9 yards right behind you. He'll fight for you till the end. Because He did it on the cross for you and for me. He did it already. And moving on, verse 15. The LORD said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So here we go. Everyone's scared still. Moses gives them this pep talk. Hey, the Lord's gonna the Lord's gonna deliver us. He's gonna fight for us. So Moses turns back and and God is telling Moses, Hey. It's time to do this. It's time to pull this awesome miracle now. So Moses lifts up his staff, stretches out his arm, and what happened? Parts the Red Sea. Isn't that amazing? So this is where the excitement happens. It must have been amazing to see the Lord part the Red Sea for the people of Israel to cross. The Lord continues to harden Pharaoh's heart because he wants Pharaoh and his troops to come on through and we know the story but I'll get to that in a bit so he pardons he the Red Sea they're walking through it now moving on verse 19 then the angel of, of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, and there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night. Okay, this is a little tricky. Bear with me here. So, the angel of God. Here, in this text, the angel of God represents the word Christ of Christ of uh, Christ of Christophany. Sorry. I'm like jacked up right here right now. But Christophany. Which is meaning that it's an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Meaning that Jesus was in the Old Testament as the angel of God. So, Jesus moved to the back of the line to watch over the people... As they're moving forward. Meaning, remember, they're following this, this pillar of fire, this pillar of clouds, all these things, as they're going through. They're following this cloud. So, as they're walking through the Red, the, the red Sea, Jesus, all of a sudden, comes in an angel form, and goes all the way behind the Israelites, as they're continuing on. To watch their back. In the same sense, as I was saying earlier, Jesus fights for you and for me. He, he's got our back. And that's awesome. So, when it talks about this darkness, that obviously Jesus is behind them, guiding them, taking care of them. As if, you know, if one day when you have children... They're gonna ride a bike, and obviously you're gonna be behind them. You're gonna guide them as they're riding their two-wheel bike, as they're three years old or whatnot. You're not gonna let them fall. You're not gonna let them get scraped up and hurt themselves. Because what happens if you do? You're gonna be like, you're gonna feel bad. You're gonna feel horrible. So Jesus is doing the same thing. He's he's watch, he's watching over the Israelites. So this darkness that it talks about, because if Jesus is behind them guiding them, they can see Him. But for the Egyptians, they see nothing but darkness. They see nothing happening. All they know is they're, they're just going straight. They're just following this. And all of a sudden, it's just darkness to them. In the same sense, us Christians are mentioned in the Bible as what? The light of the world, correct? But those that are in darkness knows not the light. They don't see this. So, here, you guys are the lights of the world, and so am I. But, the darkness of the world, meaning the non-believers, they don't see it. Yeah, they, hopefully, maybe the, you know, if the Lord is gracious to them, he'll allow them to see it. But then, they don't care what we do. If you, if, you, if you notice, we have people that just walk by, or drive by, they're just like, they don't, they don't care about what's happening. They don't care about what's going on here. They only care about the world. Just like your non-believer friends. When you say, oh, I'm going to church, you should come with me. Eh. I'd rather go party and drink and do drugs. That's what I'd rather do. They don't care about the light. And so, what happens? God blinds them to the light. It's darkness. They don't see it. In the same sense, the Egyptians don't see. They don't see this happening. The darkness fills it goes up right behind them as Jesus is taking care of the Israelites. The Egyptians are just one thing. Uh, I'm just going to go and uh, we just want to go and kill these Israelites. We just want to take them out. That's all they're focusing on. Just like how the, the non-believers, they just want to focus on making fun of Jesus freaks and all these games. They just want to make fun of your N.O.T.W. sticker or your fish... Your Jesus fish, or whatever—they—they they just want to make fun, and it's true because I have family friends, you know. I have—I—I I, I have my friends that I grew up with. They're my family friends, and since my life has been changed, they don't. They, all they can do is make fun. That's all. When me and Josh were in high school, and we were just—you know—we were a part of this because it was my family friend, and Josh was my, one of my best friends, and so. Every time we would play basketball, they would call us like the Christian team, like look at those Christ- that Christian team, but we always served them the dish, we always won, so <laughs> it's all good. But I'm saying, we're, we're bound to be made fun of, we're bound to be persecuted. And so, that's what's happening here with the Egyptians, They're, they see nothing but darkness, they're just going to go and chase after the Israelites. So, and, mo- and moving on, in verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by the strong, by a strong east wind, all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen, and in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud look down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic. Clonging them, clogging their chariot wheels, so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, "Let us flee from, or let us free from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians." And we'll stop right there. Okay. When I was reading this one, I was just like, okay, I can't make sense of it. It's, it's kind of boggling me. Okay, I know that there's walls up you know as the sea has been parted there's walls up the Israelites are continuing on this road walking on this dry land the Egyptians are following them but their wheels are starting to get heavy because it's starting to get a little I would say it's getting a little wet in the ground and so it's not dry for them to where they can keep up so it's slowing them down so with their chariots slowing down as they were still in the middle of the Red Sea, they kind of figured what was going on. They kind of saw, oh snap, God's fighting for them, and we're in big trouble. Because as we can see here, in the in probably the very last part of verse 25, it says, and the Egyptians said, Let us free from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So, they're recognizing that the Lord is fighting for them. And that they're in this spot. They're stuck right now. And let's see what happens while they're being stuck. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretches out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots, and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, through the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So as they're continuing on this, the Lord tells Moses, okay, stretch out your hand and let's close that. So as he closes the water, the walls, the walls come crushing back in, wipes out the Egyptians, wipes out their army. Remember, this is the elite team. We're talking if someone were to plant a huge bomb at the Navy SEAL headquarters, we're done. We just got worked. We just got wiped out or someone launched a missile towards our you know our army resources we're done we have no more firearm we're done we're getting worked we're gonna get owned so that's what's happening the Egyptians get owned right here by the water as Moses stretches out his arms and closes the water upon them and they're getting worked they're just done now and here it says in verse 30 Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. (coughs) And that ends it right there. So, the only way to break through Pharaoh was to take out his main resource. Because all those plagues, all those things that happened to Pharaoh, he he didn't believe. He continued to lie to Moses, right? As we look back on the previous chapters, that everything that was happening to Pharaoh, the frogs, the flies, the you name it, it was there. All those things, Pharaoh was just like... he.